Here we are, another episode of Rolling with the Bunches, episode 28, brought to you by the hangover of food that I am still enduring. <laughs> I think I ate too much turkey on Thursday. <laughs> I'm still feeling it on Happy. Sunday evening. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone, to all the, all the people who, who tune in and watch and listen. And we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Those of you who had to travel or work, some of us were working intermittently over the weekend. So mm-hmm. hope you got to have some time with your family. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, um, you know, we had the three F's on Thanksgiving. We had family, food, and football uh, because our NASCAR season and IndyCar and everything's over with, although Formula One had a wild, had a wild weekend. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. in a minute, but, but uh, the three F's of, of Thanksgiving, uh, you know, and hopefully a lot of people enjoyed the time and, or, and, and the other, the fourth F is full. I, I was going to say, I'm still full. feeling that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are not wrong about that. I, I have, I truly outdo myself every year. I don't think I could eat anymore. And then the next year comes around and I just, it's, it's an impressive accomplishment if you, if you really want to go there. Well, but we no, got to be honest. We, your mom, <laughs> your mom outdid herself this year. She, oh. she put out a spread and she cooked off and on all week, but she put out a spread uh, of all the sides. I mean, you, it's going to take us an entire episode to, to mention everything <laughs> she made, but the, and then she topped it off with two, two of her homemade pies or pecan mm. pie or and a pumpkin pie that were just fabulous. And we had, so we had an good. army, army to eat here, but that's good. But she fed everybody, which is typical. And, and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All family coming together. A lot to be thankful for. That's for sure. And like you said yeah. that too, thanks to everybody that listens to the podcast every week. You as well, mom, we really appreciate you. So, <laughs> But I did mention this is episode 28, and Dad, I didn't even realize this was episode 28 until right before we pressed record, and uh, I said there isn't a full-time 28 in the field, but dang, if that doesn't ring a few bells for longtime NASCAR fans, whether it's Davey Allison or Ernie Irvin or any of the other legends that have been behind the wheel of that 28 car, that's definitely a pretty monumental moment or number for our sport. Yep, Davey Allison and, and Ernie both were really good friends. And Davey, uh, before Ernie, Davey actually, uh, we had we shared the love of NASCAR and shared a love of of college football. And uh, Bobby Allison, his dad was one of my heroes, obviously one of his heroes. So uh, we spent a lot of time together. And then and then after uh, we uh, tragically lost uh, lost Davey, and Ernie Irvin steps in and drives the 28 for Robert Yates Racing. And you actually got to spend quite a bit of time with, uh, with, with the Irvin family over at the Irvin Ranch, over at the Irvin, uh, because they had a, a really nice spread not far from where we lived. And you, you hung out over there with, with the kids. That's right. I spent a couple, a couple hours, days, weeks at a time over at the, uh, the Irvin Ranch. Yeah, uh, Ernie's daughter Jordan is my age, and I went to school with her back when we were younger living in Charlotte, and wow, that was fun. We, I can just remember Ernie would pick us up from the bus stop after school, and we would drive out to the country, and I'd come home on Sunday night. <laughs> it, was like the, it was like going to camp. I mean, we rode horses to get the mail, and it was so fun. They are such a fun family. So yeah, when I see 28, I definitely have a Mr. Irvin comes to mind for me for sure. Yep, absolutely. And you remember remember when you pulled onto the ranch? Uh, you know, he and he and Kim had their house up on one hill, but there was a big a big uh, pond, man-made pond lake out front. Mm-hmm. What was in the middle of that pond that stuck up out of the water? Remember that? No, I don't. Is in the middle of race, the pond? It was a race car that he flipped or rolled or wrecked at Michigan. And uh, they, he bought what was left of the car. They, they, they yes. floated it out to the middle of the pond. And then it, and it stuck up out of the water as a reminder of, hey, you know what? And you, people ride by will think, well, you know, the, the only thing about racing was like, wow, that must have been a <laughs> heck of a wreck. Look how far that car launched off the road to get in the middle of that pond. But it, Ernie placed it there very strategically that's in the middle so of that funny. pond. So that's a typical Ernie. Uh, but Ernie, Ernie Irvin and Kim Irvin, you know, Jordan, all the whole family, they were, just, they were great folks. Yeah, that race car is a vague memory for me, but there was a, definitely a few racing memorabilia around the uh, Irvin farm. I can remember Ernie used to, to um, he'd be out in the barn working and he'd be hauling all this bays of hail and doing all this stuff. And then Jordan and I would just be sliding down all of the uh, hard work that he would be, you know, doing in the farm, but it was always a good time. So yeah, episode yeah. 28, number 28, big one in NASCAR. Dad, uh, we were just talking before the episode that it is truly the off season. <laughs> it is. It is, uh, everybody is getting pretty quiet here in the NASCAR world, which is a good thing because that means that everyone is off spending time with their families. But for us, 
there's not a lot to talk about. Um, I do have a couple developments, though. We talked a little bit last week on our about our buddy John Hunter Nemechek because he made right. that announcement that he wasn't returning. And so it was just this week that he uh, shocked everybody. I don't think anybody saw him taking this route. We talked about what we thought he might do, but I definitely didn't see him heading into that number four Toyota full-time in the truck series for Kyle Busch Motorsports. That's what his plan is for 2021. What are your thoughts? I mean – I mean, really, I mean, for, for a driver to walk away from a full-time Cup Series ride, you know, be able to running in the Cup, the Elite Series, to take a couple of steps backward, to go over there, I think it says a lot. Number one, it says a lot about, about how impressive uh, the Truck Series has been and, how, and how, how, how a lot of drivers see that as a great venue and a great avenue to be able to go back and refine some skills and get where you want to be. And that was part of, although he was with a really good team. I mean, I thought it would, you know, with, with uh, Bob, Bob and Brad Jenkins mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was a really good race team. Good people over there, um, you know, at, at, at front row. At front row. But I think, I think, um, but the opportunity to go back and be a part of the Kyle Bush organization, I mean, go back and be a part of the Kyle Bush organization. So you get to be in, in something, you know, it's going to be first class equipment and it's going to give you a chance to win every time you're, you're on the track. And I don't think that young man will be in the truck series very long. I think he'll move Xfinity and Cup. And I think, you know, he, you know, why not go learn from one of the best, one of the best all time in the sport? you got a mentor like Kyle Busch over there. And on top of it, Toyota is thrilled to have this young man in their camp. So I think that's, that's probably a combination of, of, of him uh, John Hunter saying, this is what I look, I'm going to walk away from the elite series. I want to go back. The trucks is getting a lot of exposure. Uh, they're great racing, great television. You know, Vince Wallace does a great job calling the truck races on Fox and FS1. Uh, and we're getting good exposure now. I'll go back there and I'm going to get noticed and I'm going to refine my skills. And then, but I'm driving a Toyota. I'm in the Toyota camp. They're going to, they're going to promote me and develop me. And Kyle Busch is the guy putting the, putting the equipment together for me. So I, I'm in good shape. You know, and I think that says a lot about the series and about, and I think that Joe Nemechek, his dad, been around a long time, former, you know, Bush Series champion. He was an All-American, All-Pro champion before he came to the Bush Series. And Joe is a veteran of many, many years in the Cup Series. He says, you know what, son, this is a good route to go. Let's go back and let's hit your wagon to a star and to a huge manufacturer in Toyota and then let them carry you where you want to go. So I think that's a good move. I agree with you. I'm I'm very excited to watch what he does in these next couple of years. On top of, you know, every reason that you just gave why this is a solid move for him. I also just think that the the versatility, I mean, first of all, he's so young. So he's what, 23, maybe 24? He yeah. has the experience, but also he has the time if he wants so to take those few steps back and say, I'm actually going to go back and kind of reroute this and see and learn under a different umbrella and see now like a sponge what it is that I can can learn from this second go around in the truck series. And if I'm if I'm a, a team owner, a car owner or whoever, if I'm Toyota, I'm like, wow, this is a 23 year old, 24 year old kid that has an insane amount of experience across all three series and the versatility that he will have by the time that he grows with this Toyota camp is just going to be tremendous and I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that come from John Hunter and you talk about that that car I mean he's going to be piloting that number four car well we saw uh we saw the four in victory lane with Rafael Assard this year he yep, yep. he started his rookie uh rookie campaign with KBM and put that four in victory lane for his first win so I have to imagine that we're going to see um some pretty cool competition given Rafael Lassard is now over at GMS next year. So GMS kind of giving Kyle Busch Motorsports for the first time in a while uh, a bit of a run for their money. So I'm excited to see what John Hunter can do with KBM and to watch the the talent in the truck series just continue to rise. I think that combination, I think getting in that, getting in that truck uh, for KBM, uh, they, they, I mean, they're going to be hard to beat. I, I, I predict right now, I know, I know GMS is really, really good, you know, but I think that, that, that John Hunter Nemechek and that, and that Toyota and that truck for Kyle Busch, they're going to be hard to beat. Kids talented. You know, it's like, it's like he, he learned so quickly and the learning curve was steep, but he got, he got promoted so quickly and had opportunities to go to cup that maybe he missed a few little things along the way that he could have learned. 
and could have developed. It's like a quarterback that it has such a strong arm. He can, he can throw the ball. He can force throws downfield, but he doesn't really learn as much about how to read defenses. And now he gets to go back and learn from square one. He's got the ability, got the talent. Why not? Why you have the time? As you mentioned, you're young enough. You have a time. Go back and get it all, which is, I think, what John Hunter Nemechek is going to do. Yeah, he's a true student of the game. You know, you can really tell. And I don't know if that comes from watching his dad for so many years, but I, I, you know, I distinctly remember back in Daytona in February, I did a really neat feature with the two of them where I walked the front stretch there to the start finish line with both uh, Joe and John Hunter. And we just talked about their life and their family and, you know, Joe getting to watch John Hunter run in the Daytona 500 for the first time. And John Hunter talks so much about his experience watching his dad. And he was, you know, they made jokes about how for Joe, it might've been a legal pad with pages and pages of notes. And John Hunter might not be his laptop, but it's the same thing. It's pages and pages of notes. And he really just studies his dad and studies the sport. And um, I really enjoy that in, in someone like a, in, a driver that I want to be a fan of. That's somebody that I'm looking to follow you their heard, career. You know, and, and, and unlike the old days where a driver could get in a car, an, a bad car, not a bad car, get in a car that wasn't a top rate car and, and maybe win, not today. You got to have the equipment. You really got to have the equipment. How many times have we heard Corey LaJoy and others say, hey, mm -hmm. if I was driving the, the, the 48 car or the, or the 24 car or whatever, you know, look at the, the equipment's a big difference, you know, from where you are. So I think what John Hunter, nothing against the guys at front row, they're great. But I think for John Hunter to get a chance to get in this equipment, this Toyota, I think that his dad – see, John, you know, people who don't know, Joe Nemechek, when he had good equipment, he sat on the pole. He won he, – you know, he was, when he, he was winning poles for Andy Petrie Racing, APR Racing in a 33 car. He was winning championships back in, in what was in the Bush Series. But when the equipment went away, he still had the talent and ability, but he couldn't show it because he didn't have the equipment. And, and I think Joe knows how that feels. So I'm not going to, he probably says, my son, we got to get you in good stuff. We got to get you in the best stuff. And then you can showcase what you are. You can win. Let's win your way in back in the cup, as opposed to being there and, and maybe assuming a ride when someone else, you know, falls out or, or, or they have an opening. So I, th I think that's a good move for him. I definitely agree. I'm very excited for him. Um, very excited to see what he does and just I just love the truck series man I mean we talk about it all the time that is just such a fun series and it just keeps getting better but another development that we had mentioned last week that I want to give a follow-up on is that AJ Allmendinger has announced he's returning to colleague in some capacity next year part-time he hasn't announced which races or or what part of the season per se but um man that camp is starting to kind of put their pieces into place and look at the picture ahead with Almondinger back part-time, Justin's back full-time. And then Jeb Burton is taking yeah. over that 10 car for full-time. So that's going to be an awesome team to watch next what, season. What a great team. I, you know, I, and let me talk about AJ first. A, you know, I think Matt Colling mentioned that when he made the Jeb Burton announcement that people asked him about Almondinger and he said, yeah, you know, we'd love to have AJ back. And he didn't want to stand in AJ's way. I don't think, but he also, AJ, I can't understand why if there were better cup rides open, you know, why not grab an A.J. Allmendinger? He's proven, obviously, he can win on the road courses. Um, and there's, and there's what, you know, four of them next year, you know. Uh, but but he's also good on the ovals now. We've seen what he can do on oval tracks and the picture plate racing and stuff. So, or, 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 you know, so I think he would be a really good, a good asset to a team to do whatever. But, you know, for Matt Colling, it's just added experience and added strength. Then Jeb Burton, how good is that? Ward Burton's son, Daytona 500 winner Ward Burton, who um, Je is Jeff Burton's older brother, uh, quality salt of the earth family out of Virginia. Uh, you know, and 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 Jeb, and that last, and that Martinsville race where Jeb Burton is chasing Harrison Burton. Yep. You know, the two the two cousins are chasing each other on a racetrack. And as far as Jeb was concerned, that was going to be his last race. You know, in the Xfinity series, and then this comes along for Matt Collig. So good for Matt Collig, number one, and to see the emotion from Jeb Burton uh, when mm. they surprised him with the announcement. You know, I, I just think that that's what that's what it's about. I mean, it gets me choked up just thinking about it. But you 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 do that and. And Justin Haley's coming back. That is a very, very strong uh, three-car team. Not full-time, but two full-time, and in the third with Almondinger. But that's a very strong team there. And uh, uh, and and their general manager does one heck of a job, you know, putting <laughs> it all together. You know, and I'd I, say 
but I just think I think that's going to be a tough team to handle, you know, full time and for the point standings. Oh, I I totally agree. And I mean, competition aside, let's just talk about the choice, this whole family element here. I am thrilled to see Jeb Burton not only just have this opportunity and be able to continue racing in a full-time capacity, but to be with colleague. I mean, you talk about the Burton family and the appreciation for family in the sport and and just the the respect factor there. Well, that is colleague racing. I mean, we say all the time that that team truly respects the family element and it's a it's a smaller team that's actively growing and you can tell that there is just such a camaraderie there that to bring a Burton and to bring Jeb who is so appreciative for this opportunity into that colic family is such an awesome move and you know also you talk about Chris Rice well Chris Rice I mean for as fun-loving kind smart sweet happy man he is He's working up here in the head. I mean, when it comes to colleague and the business side of things, he knows exactly what he is doing. And I love this story. So I had Chris Rice on uh, the Pace Lab. This was two seasons ago now. I had him on. And after we finished taping the episode, we were just sitting there chatting. And he said, you guys work with that Haley kid a lot, right? You guys work with that Justin kid and just kind of I didn't think anything of it. And I was like, yeah, we work with Justin. He's a buddy of ours. And he's like, I don't really know much about him. What's he like? What's that kid like? And just, I'm just thinking that we're just shooting the shit, talking about, you know, whatever. And a couple months later, they bring Justin into colic. And I ran into Chris and he was like, do you remember me? I was researching. He said, I used you guys. I was trying to get every ounce of research. I want to know if he was difficult to work with. I wanted to know if he was smart. He was like, you gave me the information I needed. And I was like, that's scary. <laughs> but how great is that? I mean, truly, like he, he's, he knows what he's doing. He is hand picking and choosing each member of that team. Yeah, you get your information anywhere you can get it. Now, right? You don't. You yeah, know, you're welcome, Justin. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't offer you a percentage, did he? He should have. But, but uh, you know, you get it. You get it, and because they want to know what these guys are like away from the racetrack when they're out in the media and how they treat people. And some right. people, some people are really nice when the lights and cameras are rolling, but they're but they are they're not as friendly and outgoing and and almost standoffish or sometimes even rude. When and you need to know that because you want somebody who's real, someone who's you know, it was not superficial, you know, so I think that's why he was doing the research. He wanted to know, is Justin Haley as good a kid as I think he is? It, 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 what, what did you think of him? And mm -hmm. we know he's got talent and ability, but we want the whole, whole package in our car. And so that's exactly mm -hmm. what they got. And, and that's what's so great. Our, yeah. Well, just that's what's so great about supporting that team is that, like you said, the talent aside, you know, in supporting them, that each one of them is handpicked good people. You know, you just, you know exactly what, what you're getting because of who's le leading the, the crowd over there. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm so glad that, that you could look inside Jeb Burton's soul and you see the, the heart of a champion, heart of a winner, someone who wants it, someone who just, who just wants it so bad and was, has worked so hard and, 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 you know, is not, pointed the finger or blamed anybody for the opportunities that haven't come his way, but now he's going to get a really good one. And I think that's exciting for, for Ward and for Jeb and the whole family, you know, and, and like, what, like, you know, every time Harrison would win, I would, you know, either almost every time I would text, you know, Jeff Burton and say, congratulations. Cause I, I just, I'm so being a father, I mean, just imagine the feeling of having a, having a, a young driver following your footsteps. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned that video in, in seeing the reaction. So if anyone listening hasn't seen that video, you need to go check it out on, it's on Twitter. I'm sure it's other places, but colleague basically set up a camera in the, you know, boardroom or the meeting room or whatever. And when they, uh, gave Jeb the official offer. You get a little behind the scenes hidden camera view of his emotions. And I mean, I, like, it's like you said, I just want to cry talking about it. I mean, it truly it is just all you need to see as far as like what this opportunity means to him. And I'm thrilled for him. So I love that the puzzle pieces are kind of coming into place there over at colleague, because as we've established really, really big fans of watching that team grow. So it's going to be a good 2021 for them as well, man. I just love the Xfinity series too. Like I just, I just get so excited about the potential for the truck series next year, especially now that we've seen the schedule for 2021. I'm like, man, this is just going to be this off season needs to, to go a little faster, huh? Yeah. I gotta hang on. Sorry, I need to just open my bubbly. 
while, while you're open your bubbly, your, your soda water, I want to mention, I want to just want to backtrack a little bit and mention that we haven't, we haven't mentioned yet, but um, in the ARCA series, they're going to have a new broadcast team upstairs. <gasps> and I am so very, very excited for the ARCA series drivers, but more importantly for these two people who I think the world of, uh, and uh, I've worked with both of them for a long time, but Jamie Little, He's going to be mm. the play-by-play person for the ARCA series. And congratulations, Jamie. I'm so thrilled, so excited for you. And my, and my good buddy, Phil Parsons, who I worked with as an analyst, does a great job. He was a cup driver, won at Talladega. He was an analyst with me, worked the uh, truck series for a couple, three years on ESPN. So they're going to be together calling the ARCA races. So I am so excited for that group. And I'm envious uh, that <laughs> and it's, going to be, it's going to be fun to listen to. I'm excited for Jamie we, you know, that she's going to get that chance. I'm just a little bit excited for this, you know, I, I mean, who am I kidding? I'm so thrilled for this, just for everything you mentioned. I mean, you know, both Mr. Parsons and Jamie so well, so you are thrilled for them as, as colleagues, but as a big fan of the ARCA series, I am so excited that these are the people that are going to be highlighting the young talent and, and bringing eyes to the series. And I just can't wait to hear the stories that they tell. And, and I don't know, I just really truly think that this is going to bring a whole other next level element and value to, to broadcasting and, and letting people know how important this ARCA series and developing this young talent is. I, I'm, I'm thrilled for this new broadcast team. Yeah, couldn't be happier. And I, and, I, and I know both of them will work very, very hard, do their homework. And I think because of the talent level they have and because of where they've been and what they've accomplished in their careers, it will shine even more light on the ARCA series. And, and, and I think that's going to be that, – it's sort of a win-win, win for the series and a win for them, being able to be, able to be in that booth and call those races. Exactly. Hey, speaking of the ARCA series, Dad, we were laughing because um, – Brett Holmes, you know, is, is an Auburn student. And right. <laughs> uh, I thought about him this weekend with the Iron Iron Bowl going on, you know, because there's also a couple Alabama fans sprinkled into the uh, NASCAR world, one of them notably America's crew chief. So um, yeah, yeah, thought about him as well this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he was talking to Mr. Brett Holmes doing an interview and Brett reminded him that he was there at the uh, kick six. He got to see Auburn's return uh, for the touchdown and, and and I think Larry almost pulled the plug on the interview right then. <laughs> that I, I don't blame him. Out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Larry being a diehard Alabama fan but I think uh, I think Larry is smiling this weekend because it was it was definitely a a a serious serious victory for Alabama. Uh, they they are this may be as good a defense, a good an offense as, as I've seen Alabama have. You know, I, I realize two is not there anymore, but I just think that they are so complete, physical up front, running the ball, and uh, they just ran up and down the field on on Auburn, who couldn't really do a lot. So, congratulations to to, to the Alabama fans and to Brett Holm. Sorry, sorry, bud. You know, sorry, hey, bud. You got, a, you got a championship this year in ARCA. You just didn't win the Iron Bowl. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's doing okay, and yeah, they were pretty complete, other than. Um, the leader of the packs feeling, I don't know if you saw his quote, Saban felt pretty helpless having to watch the game from, from the sofa and not from the sidelines. Yeah. I know, but that's, a, that's another story, which, Hey, speaking of dad, we should ch chat some football sometime soon because there's some pretty interesting developments going on. Here, here's the thing that put on like one statement about statement about football for you football fans that sit home and think you're strange or bizarre because you yell at the TV. Those of us who do football games and, and that are passionate, we yell at the TV too. But I felt so much better when I heard Nick Saban say, I'm sitting home and I'm yelling at the television. <laughs> so if Nick Saban can yell at the television, we can. So we're okay. Yes. We're okay. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right about that. It's, it, that just means that you're a true football fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yelling at the TV. Yeah, it's like a rite of passage. <laughs> well, Dad, we know we're talking about, obviously, football this weekend, the Iron Bowl. But this morning, today's Sunday, this morning, there was uh, a, an incredibly serious incident oh. coming out of the uh, Formula One world. And, I mean, I'll let you go into this. I just know I was watching – Sports Center this morning and all of a sudden it's a breaking news cut in and my heart I mean watching the replay just 
makes your heart sink but thankfully everybody is okay but um yeah, yeah it was balmain grand prix dad yeah 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 the bahrain the grand prix of bahrain, bahrain. and um and uh and i was actually here's the thing i was actually on an airplane flying back from doing a college football game yesterday and so the airplane i was on actually had live espn espn2 coverage and the in the formula one race the bahrain grand prix was on espn2 and i was watching it and it was the first lap the third corner um, and a driver comes across in front of Frenchman, uh, Roman uh, Grosjean. Uh, it, it's it's, it's uh, yeah, Grosjean is pronounced. Mm -hmm. uh, and and um, uh, some people say Grosjean, but we'll go with Grosjean. Um, and, anyway, he uh, and and he tries to avoid uh, the car coming in front of him. They make contact. His car, one of the Haas Formula One cars, goes through a barrier. It went through a, underneath two portions of the barrier. The nose, it cut the car in half. Uh, fuel was exposed. We're still not sure if it was a fuel line or the actual fuel cell that was ripped open. But the car now is cut in half. It is one massive inferno. Uh, the, the safety car drivers who are, who are form, former race car drivers, thankfully, they were flying up to get there. The Formula One doctor was there. And within 30 seconds, as they're trying to put this inferno out, you see an image of a driver coming through the fire and coming across what's left of the guardrail. And he climbed out of the car and was helped away. Now, first of all, um, the fact that the car was cut in half um, and he survived that part was amazing. Secondly, it went underneath the car, the front of the car went underneath two, two portions rails of a barrier and, and, and uh, without taking his head off basically. And the, the roll hoop, the halo that they put in the Formula One cars a few years ago, uh, and now they, they put an in Indy cars, saved his life. No question about that because that halo protected his head and the car went underneath the barrier and then the fire. Had he been knocked unconscious, they, you couldn't see anything. He would, have, he would have been gone. He would have perished within a minute. But he was still awake and alert, able to climb out of the car. Um, and I just saw, he was taken to a hospital there in Bahrain, and they just released a photo of him sitting up in bed, smiling with bandages on his two hands. He got oh my first gosh. and second burns on both hands. We heard he may have a little rib you know, injury from obviously that impact. He was going 225 kilometers an hour which uh, remember it's still the, it's still lap one and turn three. So they weren't up to right. complete full speed yet. It was 140 miles an hour when he hit that barrier, you know, and cut that car in half. Absolute miracle. It's just a miracle that that car, all the things that happened and he walks away and sit there in that hospital with, with two burned hands. I mean, an absolute miracle that he is okay, much less that, like you said, he walks away 30 seconds after the incident. And I mean, I mean, if you just can visual and see the car, I, I, I cannot truly understand how he is as okay as he is. But dad, you were explaining to me that it has a lot to do with this halo um, within the car to help stabilize the head. And that's a more recent development or recent well, safety it's a, it's precaution. A, the halo is a support mechanism over the cockpit. It's like a halo around the cockpit so that um, debris comes at the car from off of another car or off uh, a cars have contact or our tires and most of the body parts are tethered. Uh, to the car so they don't come flying off when you hit something and go injure someone in the crowd or someone else. But if you do hit something, uh, there is protection. There are there have been numerous situations over the year where Formula One drivers would have an accident and debris would hit them in the head and they'd be fine otherwise, but the impact in the head, as we saw with a tragic IndyCar death a few years ago at Pocono, but just a piece of debris coming down, uh, there was no protection. But now with that halo, which the Formula One drivers were the first to develop, and now IndyCar has it this year, um, the halo in the windshield allowed that car to just to go underneath the barrier uh, and and not, I mean, you would think that that barrier would act like a guillotine, basically. Right. This gives me chills to think about it, because he's going toward that barrier, and the halo must have put the car down underneath the barrier and kept him alive. And he wasn't even knocked unconscious it's and and you're standing there and you see the the emergency crews pull up maybe 20 seconds in and then there's a 20 foot high wall of flame and, and inferno you cannot even see the car you see nothing had he been knocked out you couldn't see you couldn't see the car you couldn't see where the driver was but here he comes out of that wall of flame and step and gets helped across the barrier and in this test so the safety suit the helmet the gloves the balaclava 
you know, the, the Halo device. The folks, the, the, the competition directors at Formula One uh, spoke on ESPN, ESPN2. They did a great job getting this guy on at the end of the telecast today, you know, uh, on Sky Sports. And they said, and he said, we have so much to investigate. We have to investigate, you know, uh, how that car went under a barrier. We have mm -hmm. to investigate why that barrier was, why it, what, where it was, and why it was there like that. And then we have to find out, you know, the fire. You know, was it, what, what happened there? Was it a fuel with fuel cell should not rupture? And if it does rupture, it shouldn't be pouring fuel out. Was it a fuel right. line? Was the engine still running and just pumping fuel through a fuel line that was severed like a torch, uh, like a flamethrower almost, because it's pumping fuel with the, with the fuel cell, so uh, with the fuel uh, pump. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, they have so much to look at. But the best news is, you know, um, is that he's sitting in a hospital smiling today. I, 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 when I saw that wreck, I thought about one of my heroes growing up was Mark Donahue. I loved Mark Donahue as a, I loved just the kind of his persona, the kind of person he was, his, his the way he drove. And I think about Mark Donahue was uh, testing at the Austrian Grand Prix, uh, driving for Roger Penske, and they had a wreck, uh, and he hit. His head either hit a post or part of a part of a, a, a billboard, uh, and he climbed down the car and looked to be okay. Uh, but then later in the afternoon, started having a headache and was hospitalized, and then developed a brain hemorrhage and, and then died. So it, there was nothing to protect the drivers' heads back then when they were in the car. Nothing. And this hoop, this halo, has taken all these years to develop, and thankfully, it is here today. And and all those drivers, many many of the Formula One drivers, and of course the race was shut down. Many of the Formula One drivers said in the race, they could not look at the video. They did not want to see the video and think about having to get so. back in a car. Um, but, but then they all said, and then someone told one of the drivers, think, I mean, you know, said, you know, you need to look at the video because it will make you feel good about how safe we are uh, in those cars. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like you said, you know, this is one of those instances where the league then turns around and says, okay, we have a lot to, to do from yeah. here we have this this is just the beginning of what we now further have to go investigate and and change if if necessary and thankfully um this is an instance where formula one now has an opportunity to go figure out how to make the sport safer but also everybody is going to be okay you know it's it's too often than not that it's a tragic incident that is what is developing the next safety precaution, but thankfully we're going to be able to learn from this incident and and still know that everybody was okay. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that we learned we learned from these tragedies. We learned from things that are tragedies or near. Thankfully, this was not a tragedy. Look mm -hmm. at how much we learned and changed the sport of NASCAR when we lost Dale Earnhardt. Look at mm -hmm. the things that have happened after we, you know, the tragic loss of Dan Weldon in Indianapolis uh, at, at Las Vegas uh, in a wreck there. And the drivers over the years we lost in Indianapolis. I mentioned Mark Donahue. Mark Donahue actually retired from IndyCar racing uh, after the loss, after the death of his buddy, his good friend, Swede Savage in Indianapolis. He didn't want to drive anymore. And, and Roger Penske talked to him to come back and drive in sports cars and then drive in Formula One. So um, yeah, it, it really, these kind of things have an impact on the drivers that are in the wreck, but also on those that are outside and can see what happens. And I think that, you know, it's, I'm just thankful that they're, that they're safe in these cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, and that's one of those things where as, as race fans, whether it's Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, um, it's just one of those, send those little prayers up, you know, for everybody involved, because it's like you said, thankfully everybody was okay. But even at that, I mean, it's just, that's, it's a real, it's a, it's a, realizing moment for a lot of people that kind of just like that dump of cold water when you can see oh yeah this is you remember just how dangerous this is you know yeah absolutely well speaking of uh sending some some prayers up i was reading this week that longtime nascar driver and team owner uh morgan shepherd was diagnosed with parkinson's disease he's 79 years old now Shepard, for those of you that uh, are maybe younger NASCAR fans or newer NASCAR fans, you might know him more as, a, as an owner or even a part-time driver. Um, in 2014, he actually became the oldest uh, driver to start a Cup Series race at the age of 70 
two that was at New Hampshire Speedway. And um, I don't know, I just, he, I was reading and they, they talk about how he's just still in such good spirits and he's already making his plans for 2021 because he noted that 2020 was uh, the first time in 52 years that he didn't compete in a national series race. So he wasn't having any of that and is already making his plans for 21. <laughs> so uh, definitely thinking about, about Morgan Shepard and his family. Yeah, when I was a kid growing up in uh, the Hickory, North Carolina area. Morgan Shepard was an established uh, local short track racer, and he was tenacious. And uh, what we knew Morgan for is that his cars were immaculate. He built these cars that were just breathtaking. There wasn't a scratch on the body anywhere. Remember, he built a brand new car. It was candy apple red. had had like flex in it, gold flex. In it. it was beautiful. It looked like something you'd, you'd take to a car show, much less to a racetrack. I mean, I wouldn't want to unload that car and get dirt on. It looks so so pretty. But then it was a Pontiac Ventura back then. And he took it, he built that car to take it to uh, one of the speedways in, in, in Mobile, Alabama, or down in Florida. It might have been Five Flags Speedway or somewhere. And he took it down there and he flipped it. He rolled it four or five times. And, and you know, the old saying is, come bring me the trophy, the steering wheel. He came back with a steering wheel because they just destroyed that car down there. But Morgan was one of those guys that could drive anything. The, the rumor growing up when I was a kid, is that there was a two-lane road in our hometown uh, between Newton, Conover, and Hickory. There was a two-lane road that turned hard to the right and went down a long hill and then turned back to the left off a very across a very narrow bridge. And that Morgan Shepard was a teenager, and uh, and some some and they knew he could drive a car. He was pretty good behind the steering wheel of a car. Although you shouldn't be doing things on the highway. Don't don't try this at home kind of thing. But a lot of kids would 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 want to go see how fast they could go down that hill you know, turn right down that hill and then make the left and get across the bridge. And uh, Morgan, Morgan bet those guys he could do it. Uh, and, and he would spin the car backwards at the bottom of the hill and backwards across the bridge. Uh, now, I don't know, um, Morgan and I chatted about this one time, and he sort of implied that, that he did it. He did it once and everyone thought it was a fluke. and He went and did it again. But uh, Morgan was one of those guys who just had incredible car control and could do anything. And you shouldn't, folks, if you're listening to your kid, don't try that. Obviously, that was a long time ago. Two lane roads in a small town. Trained professionals. <clears throat> Trained professionals. Yeah. 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 yeah, they were not, but we'll pretend like they teenagers. were. Yeah. But I mean, Morgan, sh Morgan showed he had this incredible ability to drive a car, and he did. Now, you know, he won. He won races. Um, you know, ran for Cliff Stewart. Um, look up that name, Cliff Stewart, one of the great young independent car owners. Uh, he wasn't young. He was an independent car owner back then, and, and Morgan drove for him. I had some great runs at Martinsville. Morgan won races for the Wood Brothers, driving for the Wood Brothers, the famed Wood Brothers, won in Atlanta. Uh, and then later in his career, when 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 his equipment went away and Morgan somehow, you know, he still wanted to race, but everyone said, you're sort of over the hill. He fielded his own car and he didn't have sponsors. He put racing for Jesus on the hood of the car. And I remember calling <laughs> these qualifying races and I'd go down and see Morgan. I always went to mine and said hello to him. And because Morgan said, hey, doc, he said, when you call qualifying tomorrow, don't say, 70-year-old Morgan Shepard about to go out. <laughs> just leave the number, leave my name, leave my numbers off of that. And I said, well, I'm just telling people how impressive this is. He said, oh, you can. But, That's awesome. But Morgan said, he said, Doc, he said, all jokes aside, he said, back in the day, I was racing for trophies. Today, because of my faith, I'm racing for souls. I want people to come up to me and say, hey, what's this racing for Jesus about? And I want to tell them what it's about. And I want to witness to them. And Morgan, as, as, as he got older in his career, he was a wild buck early on. He made a lot of mistakes, as we all did, uh, and, and lived a wild life. But once he found his faith, you know, he was so good to so many people. He had some people that were, that were handicapped that he did a, a, a Christmas function every year for to raise money for. Uh, and he, he would get all his fellow drivers to go and support. He did a lot of really, he still does a lot of really good things for people. So, you know, if you see Morgan Shepard, you know, I, Parkinsonism or not, I mean, uh, he's just been a really good person to be around in the sport and has given a lot uh, of himself and for others. And so I hate to hear the news on Morgan, and I and I, I, I look forward maybe sometime to seeing him back at the racetrack. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, he did, a, he did an episode on the radio a year or so ago where he told his story. Uh, I think it was on, on, on Sirius XM, the Dave Moody, as a matter of fact. And it was probably as good an episode as I've ever heard because he just mm. was able to bear his soul and, and tell the honest truth. And so maybe he's somebody we should have on sometimes because he's really, really good at explaining oh. where he came from and, and how he got here. And it's a fabulous story. 
I would love that. That would just be what a, that would be such an honor to be able to sit down and, and chat with him. I know most recently I I used to work. Um, I haven't seen him in a season or so, but I used to work a, a decent amount with Landon Castle, and he ran uh, part time for Morgan and with Morgan, they kind of split that, that ride. And he just mentioned on a few different occasions, how much that meant to him and how yeah. just neat it is to, to, to race for him and with him and learn from him and hear his stories and just being around him is uh, really was really special for Landon. So uh, that makes you want appreciate him even more when you hear these young talent appreciate. I, I cannot not, cannot stop um, uh, with Morgan Shepard without mentioning the fact that he was an accomplished roller skater. He was Excuse me? He, he was an accomplished roller <laughs> skater. He could roller skate sideways, backwards. He would go to a roller skating ring, put skates on. They would dim the lights, turn the music on, and Morgan would put on a show. It was, it was literally like a Las Vegas review show. And so early in his career at Hickory Speedway, and it was pouring rain, and they had a packed house, started raining. Ned Jarrett was a promoter. They were trying to find something to entertain the fans with. Morgan put his skates on and goes skating up and down the front straightaway, spinning and twirling and putting one leg in the air. And he would do that at Martinsville, Virginia, during the pre-race. He would do it at a lot of pre-races, and some of the promoters would pay him to do that because the fans loved it. I mean, I, I would be dangerous on roller skates, but Morgan <laughs> – was a was an accomplished roller skater. Um, one time at a short track race, um, it was at at he was pouring rain and they were trying to do something to entertain the fans. Morgan got in his race car and they said, "If you go out and entertain the fans, we'll buy a set of tires for you." He went out and was spinning donuts and circles and going in the corner and spinning loops and on the track <laughs> and the fans were cheering. They were doing the wave. It was pouring rain. Here's Morgan out there in the race car. You know, he's a showman, but, but any, ask anybody around the sport in the garage area, the fans, when Morgan was driving full-time, he loved, loved, loved to roller skate and uh, was very good at it, by the way. That's incredible. I love that. That's one of those just little, oh yeah. And by the way, I'm a really great roller skater. Like how, yeah, yeah. How, when do you, when did he learn that? Why did he learn that? I guess that's just something you, you guys would do you go to the roller rink and I don't know. That's hey, so any, funny. Anything to me. on wheels, you know, Hey, right. Hey, and he seems like a true performer. That's for sure. You know, that, that actually, you mentioning that he's a, a roller skater makes me think about the drivers now in the, the fun side hobbies that they might have or side talents they had. I actually, I heard this week and I don't know if this is true. I haven't confirmed it. I, I should just ask him, but I heard that Austin Sindrick plays the tuba. So really? I don't know. If, really? Yeah. I don't, again, I don't know. I, I it's one of those, I, was, I don't, Interesting, right? Um, yeah, how cool! Yeah. How cool is that? If that's accurate, yeah. so uh, yeah. it makes me wonder. Some of these little fun, like I never would have known that Morgan Shepard could could roller skate, and Austin Sindrick can play the tuba. And who knows? Maybe Kurt Busch is, is really good at knitting hats or something. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to. Yeah. I know Austin yeah. Sindrick's dad, Tim Sindrick, was a great basketball player, and you know, so I'm surprised that he didn't get. He didn't go. I mean, he was really, really good. He's tall, got got great agility, mm -hmm. and great athletic. I'm not sure if Austin played basketball or not. But, well, he's uh, built like one, a basketball yeah, player, that's is. for he sure. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, now, and now, by the way, he's a champion. He don't have, you know, yeah. maybe a, a, a tuba playing Xfinity champion. That could be a, <laughs> could be a little feature, you know. You know uh, yeah, I think ESPN should, should get on that one. You can qualify, you can race, uh, you can win, but can you play the tuba? You know, that, <laughs> that could be a, a did you know kind of thing. Maybe we do oh, that man. with, with a, He's probably, yeah, Austin's like, oh, come on, guys, you're killing Yeah, Austin's me. like, don't do this to me, please. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, who knows on that one? That's just so fun. I, I love that. And I'm going back to, to Morgan Shepard. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, true. Those stories are incredible. And that's just a true testament to who, who he is as a person, as a competitor, uh, and as someone that's meant a lot to the NASCAR world. It's just, we're definitely keeping him and his family in our prayers for yeah, sure. Absolutely. And we hope that you we guys are. will we as well. We certainly are. Yeah. Well, Dad, I am um, trying to think. I, like I said, this is this off-season thing is just—it hurts a little bit. I, I really miss racing. I know that everyone's enjoying their time with with their families, but um, you and I are going to have to get together and put our brains together on coming up with some good show we ideas. We are. I, I do want to mention a, a bit of good news coming out of the IndyCar ranks. We all know yeah. that Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson is going to going to drive for Chip Ganassi Racing. And that Jimmy, the seven-time Cup champion, Mr. Seven-Time, is going to go run the street and road courses for you know, for the IndyCar series. He's going to run 13 times over the next few years, driving for Chip Ganassi. Would not shock me to see him in some stock car races, driving for Chip Ganassi either. And Chip's a smart guy. I know where Chip's got. I know where Chip's going with this right here, don't you? Uh, but 
But Jimmy wants to run the, the street and road courses, does not want to run the ovals. And I don't blame him because you, if you haven't been on an oval in an IndyCar, you're really, really, you're, you're, you're pushing the envelope. You're pushing the edge. Um, and so, at least now anyway. So, Chip Ganassi goes out and gets one of the best drivers available. He gets Tony Kanaan. Tony, who still has the all-time consecutive start record, 318 starts in IndyCar. Tony's a 2004 IndyCar champion, 2013 I called. I was there uh, when, when he won the Indianapolis 500. Um, one of the great guys, one of the most popular drivers in open wheel racing. But Tony is signed a multi-year deal with Chip to drive the oval track events, and Jimmy Johnson drives the street and road courses. So that's great. Tony used to drive for Chip Ganassi uh, as Scott Dixon's teammate. I think 2014 to 2000. 2017 so now he's back with chip ganassi racing so i think that's so cool tk we call him um likable brazilian um just a good good guy and he can he had, I mean, and, and tony canon wasn't real fond of the street and road courses because he liked to just hammer down on the ovals so that's that'll be the best of both worlds for chip ganassi there how cool is that too i mean for someone i i appreciate indycar but i'm definitely not a a, a big indycar uh, fan, or I don't know much about the IndyCar world, but how neat is that? I mean, I know Tony Kanaan, and obviously we know Jimmy Johnson. So for just the motorsports world in general, and for Chip Ganassi, like you said, this crossover that he's doing, he knows exactly what he's doing. That's going to be really neat for us to see this well-respected IndyCar legend, and then this well-respected NASCAR motorsports legends coming together and, and watching Jimmy Johnson learn from both Chip Ganassi and Tony Kanaan. I mean, that is that is as fans. That is the coolest thing. That is an awesome experience for us to watch. And, and oh, by the way, they also have six-time IndyCar and reigning IndyCar champion Scott Dixon on that team. Oh, well, and then the young guys, they have Marcus Erickson <laughs> and Alex Palou. So, so, I mean, you talk about he's got, he's got a talented group of drivers that Chip has assembled there. And, uh, and Mike Hall, my buddy Mike Hall, who's a, who's a managing director of that whole operation, boy, he does a great job. You talk about how Chris Rice does a great job with calling racing. Mike, Mike has been has been putting these teams together year after year after year that, to win the Indy 500, to win the pole with Indy, to win you know championship after championship. Back when Dario Franchitti was there, and now with Scott Dixon. So um, back all the way back to back to uh, Juan Pablo Montoya when he won the Indy 500, and and uh, you know Alex Zanardi all the early years when you know. So what a great operation Chip Ganassi has in open wheel and in stock car racing, and now adding Jimmy Johnson and Tony Kanaan. Uh, that's going to be so cool. I can't wait to, I can't wait for 2020 to be over and 2021 <laughs> to start. I know. Right. But between IndyCar and NASCAR and college football for that matter, it's going to be an interesting start to 2021 for sure. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward I, I to agree. it. Yeah. Well, dad, it's, I guess that's it. I guess that's really all there is to talk about. Like I said, next week we'll have to come in. Maybe we can tell like, we'll have a, a cool theme or we can tell some cool stories about, I don't know, a driver or an owner of your, of your choice, or we'll bring in a friend. We talked about bringing some friends in yep, too. Yep. Phone a friend. We'll phone, we may phone, phone a friend. A friend. We, have, we have a number of good friends that we, uh, we talked about having joining us, join us, uh, some broadcasters, uh, some, some really close friends and, and maybe a driver or two. Let's do that. Talk about yeah. it in the off season. And we might all, since I'm doing college football on a regular basis and traveling, there's a lot of things that may be changing in the next seven to 10 to 14 days in college football, we might want to just have a little bit of college football time to talk to the people who, who uh, about what we know, what we think we know could be happening uh, with regard to the college football playoffs and the bowl season. It's getting very interesting. Just when you think we might have it a little bit figured out, we don't at no, all, no. <laughs> but that's what's so exciting. You know what? That's what that's what makes it so exciting. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it, Dad. We'll definitely talk some football this weekend. I'll have um I'll have my people call your people, and then maybe our people can call some of our friends. We'll people's. do that. We'll do that, and, yeah. I'll, and I'll I'll make I may I have to zoom you from the airport somewhere, but we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. It doesn't it doesn't matter where you are. We can we can talk sports from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I was, uh, I did a, I, quickly, I did a game Saturday and the guy, yeah. one of the guards at the game said to me, Doc, he said, hard to believe that I was in Indiana. He said, hard to believe that, that it's uh, almost 50 degrees here today. He said, because normally the week of Thanksgiving, it's in the twenties and snowing. And then he came back like after the third quarter. And so I looked at the weather forecast Monday here, they're calling for 70% chance of snow and a high of 24. I said, you got to be oh. kidding. Me. I'm glad I'm here today and not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you said, great. So my flight's leaving Sunday and I am not going to be I'm out of here. <laughs> I am gone. <laughs> I said, don't, 
don't count on me coming back next week for the Wisconsin game. Well, yeah, I'm not going to do that, but, but uh, yeah. I'm, you know. I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because, first of all, great broadcast, awesome, and great game, too. But I, on the broadcast, they, they did a little shout-out with you being back uh, in some close to your stomping ground, speaking of Indianapolis and IndyCar. So that was really cool that they were able to, to acknowledge the crossover there in college football and IndyCar racing. Yeah, our, our producer, uh, Eric Poseman, the longtime producer at ESPN, I had no, it was a surprise. I had no idea they were doing that. And, and we're in the middle of the broadcast tele- the game, and he says, hey, Doc, are you over near a monitor somewhere? We, I'm on the sideline. I said, I'll walk over to one. He said, I want you to watch the billboards. Normally, I'm there in case something happens with one of the other announcers' microphones. So I'm standing there, and they rolled this footage of me at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and, <laughs> and Roy Philpott and Kelly Stopper, my colleagues on the broadcast, said, hey, he did 27 Indianapolis 500s, and they showed me interviewing Kyle Busch at the Brickyard 400 and Jeff Gordon and all these years. And uh, I said, wow, that's pretty cool that they would take the time. I'm very flattered, so flattered and honored they would take the time to put that on a college football game. He said, but he said, and I saw so many people on the sidelines in Bloomington, Indiana, where I was at, that are a part of what happens every year, every year in the month of May and August at the Speedway for the Indy 500. So lots of friends, doctors, uh, colleagues, uh, camera guys that work there, fans that, that are just IndyCar fans coming down in the stands to say hello. Uh, so it's always nice to go there and enjoy the Hoosier hospitality. But it was pretty cool those guys would do that during the telecast and show the video of me at Indy. Yeah, that's it was really cool. It was that was really sweet of them. But it's hey, it was a much deserved honor. It's like you said, you did a you did a handful of those Indianapolis five hundreds and I think a, I think a couple NASCAR races. So few, it was yeah. a few. Yeah. yeah, it was much deserved. So that was really neat. But again, great broadcast, uh, fun weekend. I was excited to spend Thanksgiving with you, but we're back home now and wrapping up episode twenty eight. So we'll chat again later this week or next week. We'll talk okay. some football. Do. Looking forward to it. So with that, uh, guys, as usual, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all those good places that you have social media. And also, you can listen to us every week anywhere that you find your podcasts. Give us a thumbs up, five stars, like, review, comment. I don't know what the official things that you do on the podcast <laughs> apps are, but just do them if you can do them. Yep, and absolutely. if you want to watch us on YouTube, you can check us out on YouTube and see our, our smiling faces. And dad, now this is your time to shamelessly plug us for sponsors. Yeah, absolutely. And you, if you want to sponsor, rolling with the punches. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're, if you have anything, if you, if your company has provides anything edible, we are easy, easily bought uh, because we love to eat. Uh, but uh, yeah, hey, if you want to get involved, we'd it's love to have wrong. you. And we ha- we have um, we have a lots of lots of, of certain parts of the show that we could promote uh, with your products. So uh, we'd love love yeah. to have you. And we this is a lot of fun doing it. We're going to be expanding the show. We'll talk more about that later with regard to our guests on each week. And and uh, we'll be more than happy to have your support. Yep. Much like the sporting world, we also have very big plans for 2021. So stick yep. around. You guys will have to see what we do this next year. So <laughs> Absolutely. Dad, awesome episode. I love you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Okay, sweetie. I love you too. Have a great week.